just as wool competes for retail space and ultimately for the consumer's dollar, wool production competes for land use where cropping, prime lambs, cattle and irrigation are possible. And that competition is very real, but it's one where wool can certainly win when it comes to profitability. And that is the main topic for the next 15 minutes. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So competition for land use in Tasmania has never been more intense as the expansion of irrigation through the state's midlands has put merinos under the microscope. But it's something local wool grower George Gatenby had plenty to say about when I caught up with him at the 183rd Campbelltown show recently. The merinos are competing for hectares, um, cropping is doing well, commodity prices are good, we've got contracts out three years, they're in a good place. Um, irrigation is pushing into our traditional growing areas, um, our marginal ground is not marginal anymore, it's lambing ewes down, or um, summer, not wintering, summering our ewe flock to either take the weight off the composites or just run our ewes. So weathers are going, there's not many weathers anymore. I sold um, my last 120 this week um, from a flock that I used to run about 2,500. Um, so they're all used now or irrigated ground. So uh, the uh, landscape is changing, but the wool quality on the merino side is in a great place. We have great marketing options. Um, the Adam Mules and traceability story is growing down here. Um, we've got markets on four or five different segments that we're able to contract into um, and forward hedge over three or four years. So tell us a bit about um, your own farming operation. You're from a famous Tasmanian family when it comes to farming. Um, how do you run your farm and what do you run? Famous or infamous, depends how you look at it. Um, there's, a book about, there's a book out if you want to read about it. Uh, yes, my fabled uncle. Uh, we run a uh, 5,000 ewe flock, uh, joining 50% to merinos and 50% to a, a terminal ram. Um, and we use the ewe portion of our merinos as replacements. Um, our operation is, is pretty simple. We um, try and run about uh, five ewes to the hectare, um, so run about um, 10 DSC over winter and lamb down in September. And um, we shear every about 10 months. Last year was the first time we shore in 12 months and eight years. Um, so we're just trying to fit in our wool harvest with staple length to hit our um, target markets. And that's about that 90 mils and staple strength of about 50. Um, we've been hitting that um, consistently for six or seven years and we see ourselves as a sweet spot in the market um, and sort of demand in that spot across a few different consumer bases. Um, our operation, we're on 200 hectares of irrigation, which is seed crops and poppies, and also forage crops to finish our merino lambs and our, our fat lambs. So it sounds like merinos very much fit into what has been a, a very much an evolving farming situation on, on your place. Yeah, so we've got a thousand arable hectares and um, a lot of 400 to 600 hectares of native bush and plantation nightens, and they fit in our landscape based on our fencing infrastructure, uh, our water resource being watering points and our soil type. We don't have much topsoil, but it's very stony um, and native country blends in with our improved pastures. Um, so merinos are a real fit. So uh, back in 2014, we, we went in partnership and purchased a farm with our neighbours um, next door and um, to increase sheep numbers quickly I invested in a, a flock of about 500 composite ewes and they were very successful, um, large lambing rates, um, quick turnout, um, good cash flow. 
Um, we'll see the end of them after this season um, because, one, they're a great animal. They take the best feed. They eat the most. Um, but they also put pressure on our fences. Um, and I call them my cows because they'll eat anything. They do an amazing job of cleaning up a paddock. Um, but they're also taking my best pastures due to my fencing infrastructure. It's usually smaller paddocks, the last fences get built, etc. So they get the good paddocks compared to my merinos. So the merinos are great because um, they, uh, they're very an easy care animal. I let them roam. Um, one of my RWS criteria or questions is how um, often do you tend to your flock? Is it, and the expectation is to see your sheep every day. And the answer in the reality is it's not. It's once a week, at best. Sometimes there's a mob out the back that won't see you for four weeks, but they're still there, they're still healthy. If you've got the right trenches in them and they've got the fly control in place, then um, they're, they're all still there when you go back a month later. And that's what happens when you've got an operation where we're just a one FTA unit, being myself, and um, sometimes someone else. Um, and uh, it seems to work well for us. So, George, you're a recent addition to the AWI Producer Advisory Panel here in Tasmania and um, bring a lot of energy to that. What do you think are the main issues for sheep producers uh, here? What are the, the main opportunities for sheep producers in Tasmania? Oh, there's a few questions there. Um, the first one, the challenges, is um, I joined because I've got a lot of opinions um, and AWI is... Uh, got some great programs and I want to learn more about them and what they're actually doing for me as a grower and where my levies are going. Um, one of the uh, right now conversations when you're having a beer at the bar is is shearing. Um, our shearing industry is so important for us because it's a harvest but it's uh, the least efficient system that I can name in any industry I can see. When I see it um, takes um, one bloke to harvest 100 sheep. Um, it really worries you it's one tonne of wool um, and then you've got a shed of people that turn up it, it, it stresses me out shearing and it shouldn't because it should be the most time when I, 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 I'm harvesting my full 12 month yield um, I go to harvest my grain crop and you put the header in it's gone on the day and you get your money in the bank 14 days later um, in wool it's not the same there's a whole lot more variables and, and shearing is a large one we can't control because it's a large amount of people that we can't develop, train and employ over a long period of time. They're casuals and they turn up and do the job at that one period of time and they start with someone else the next week or the next day. Um, we need to invest more in those people and give them structure and, 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 and better um, employment conditions and I think that'll make the system better. Uh, I also think that um, there's not a mutual position where we both agree as far as the not the level of respect, but the level of understanding of what the growers are trying to do and the shearers are trying to achieve. And that varies, obviously, between different growers and, and, and different um, contract shearers. Um, so that's one of the challenges I see in Tasmania in shearing. I think that's nationwide, but um, I don't see anything outside um, the scope of what we, um, the wool industry's identified anyway. It's a problem. I think Tasmania is leading the way in ceasing mulesing and it's probably on the back of our climatic conditions. Uh, we have the ability to, uh, so in the past we would maybe jet once a season and a bad year, twice. Um, I stopped ceasing mulesing in 2016 on the back of um, a contract, uh, sorry, a broker turning up and offering a contract for three years of wool um, 
to sell my wool at a premium of 30% to you could get any on derivative market. They came a week before landmarking. I was told the landmark would stop um, mules. Now, there's um, a lot of marketing and information out there on what you need to do to stop mulesing, but the answer is, if you need to, you just stop, and then you deal with how you're going to manage that um, down the track. Now, that suits my operation, but it doesn't suit every operation, and um, I think it suits Tasmanian conditions, and we're now benefiting from that marketing opportunity, responsible wool standard, Authentico, um, etc. cetera. Um, those options are out there to market your wool that way. Uh, yeah, I'd probably also add that you had sort of brand Tasmania um, as well, which is a, a bit of a, a wonderful free kick, um, uh, having having a great reputation as not only a, a, a tremendous environment and clean environment, but some of the best wool in the world, obviously. Wonderful to see so many young people in agriculture in Tasmania. Are many of them interested in growing wool? That's yeah, another question. So the dynamic is in Tasmania compared to, so I left Victoria eight years ago, um, and so southern New South Wales, Victoria, the dynamic of um, well, the, the shift in generation has happened in Tasmania. We have a lot of young farmers under 40, 45 years of age doing great things, um, adapting to new technologies and emerging markets. So, um, and even now, I'm now an old farmer, I'm 36, 37 this year, and, uh, and I feel old. And last night, cocktail party, got kids coming through at 18, 20, 21. And, um, and the, the technologies they've got and the um, access to information is, uh, supersedes anything that the generation before had. Um, and to ask the question, are they coming into the wool industry? The answer is no. Um, there is very few of my peers that um, talk about merino sheep as a sexy industry. Uh, I think that needs to change because when I sit in my benchmarking group, um, my enterprise mix of merino ewes and 50% joined to a terminal ram is a um, stacks up with everything else. And so it's horses, of course, as it's land for, um, for rainfall type and soil structure, etc. However, um, merinos need labour and merinos can provide risk due to animal health concerns, etc. And the, probably the stability um, scares off the young person. There's a lot more science in the crop production than is. Um, in the wool industry and that turns a lot of people on as they're doing university and coming back to the farm is I know I can get eight tonne of wheat if I do this prescription remedy. Where wool's not prescription remedy, sheep aren't prescription, that's the challenge that I accept and I enjoy um, and I inherited, I inherited the merino flock and um, my ancestors did the same. So is there something uh, that we need to do as an industry to invite and to welcome these uh, in and uh, to th this new generation in and uh, and show them what technology is available. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting one. Um, the answer is doors are open, the opportunity's there, and they can take that if they want. I still don't think we're seeing the, the value of a merino U in the market compared to a composite U. I still see premiums on a composite U over a merino U, and that disappoints me a bit because I know the profitability of a merino U. Um, the, what the way forward is, is, is interesting. You look at the dairy industry and you look at a, a cropper or a sheep farmer or a beef farmer and you ask them, why aren't you a dairy farmer? I don't want to be a dairy farmer. Why not? They've got science, they've got instant feedback, um, they've got benchmark figures and they've got a big industry. Most profitable one up there with, behind beef, I assume. Um, now, why don't you want to be a dairy farmer? 
you've got to work long hours, you've got to get dirty, etc. So that works in a little bit with the sheep industry. But the dairy industry, why it's so successful is they've got good genetic data, they've got good science and they've got um, instant feedback for what they do. So I think if we can replicate that type of industry in agriculture with instant feedback, same as cropping, every year you get a, a good feedback on what you're doing and you can also do your plant tissue tests and soil tests right there and you can know what your yield you're going to get based on your soil moisture and your, your fertility, etc. With sheep, they're an animal, they're variable, stable strength, micron, yield, um, how much they're going to eat. They might stop because they're not in a good mood. Or something you can't read um, because you're not a vet and you're not going to um, do an autopsy on them when they're alive. So that's what we challenged with. But I think there's, a, uh, uh, there's an attraction for those that want to change that as far as... How do we make the merino sexy? How do we make sheep farming sexy? Um, and we talk about shearing shed design to make the workplace a happy place and a place you want to be. Um, they've made headers and tractors really comfortable with beer holders and the like. But I think um, shearing sheds and workplaces and um, roofs over yards, um, we saw them as expensive in the past because um, you got $7 a kilo for your wool if you're lucky, getting dollar for a weather. Now we're getting $200 for a sheep and we're getting $13 for a kilo. Um, we're able to start investing in those things and I think it's important that we do put the money into those things so that when it gets tough, it's still enjoyable to be in those yards or, and doing that work. It's interesting that you didn't mention profitability as the driver for young people to get back into farming. It's not the money, it's the hard work that's keeping them away from it. Yeah, I, profitability is probably the... Um, if I was sitting here in a workshop and listening to a speaker, that'd be the first thing I'd say um, if they were trying to sell me a sheep supplement or a, a new way of doing things. I'm like, does that meet... The, the sniff test, I can't see your figures stacking up, your spreadsheet doesn't have a, um, a proper um, access. Um, profitability is a key, and that's what drives improvement in the industry, um, and that's why I'm still in Merinos, um, and, uh, and that they work for us. George, thank you again for having us at the Campbelltown Show. Thanks for your enthusiasm in the industry, and uh, thanks for joining us on The Arm. Appreciate it. Wool Grower and Sheep Connect Tasmania Producer Advisory Panel member George Gatenby speaking at the Campbelltown Show, one of, if not the oldest agricultural show in Australia. And the book mentioned briefly there, The Gatenby Saga, written by Carol Bacon and David Gatenby, has been released recently, documenting in detail almost 200 years of the family farming in Tasmania. So that ends this episode of the Yarn Podcast. Thank you to everyone who gives some feedback. We get it either in person or through Spotify or iTunes or indeed email at theyarn at wool.com. It keeps us on track and continuing to deliver what you want to hear about in the world of wool. So from me, Mario's coming. Thanks for listening.